everybody. It's Brooke Burke, and you're listening to the Naked Mom Pod. Thanks for joining us today. I'm back in Hollywood. I know I've been globetrotting, but I'm back in our usual studio, and I just wanted to tell you guys how much I love hearing from you. So continue to reach out. You can email us at show at nakedmompodcast.com. I love reading your emails. The feedback is super valuable to me, and you can also follow us on all social media at at Naked Mom Pod, and you can find me at at Brooke Burke. So, so much fun. We're well into our groove. And today is all about parenting and marriage. And um, you're going to leave this show today, hopefully, with a whole lot of tips about what the hell not to do. And I have a really, really brilliant, cool writer, uh, a best-selling author who published a book called How to Not Hate Your Husband After Kids. How do you like that title? I'm going to be talking to the best-selling author, Jancy Dunn. She was a writer at Rolling Stone magazine for a decade. She's also written about five books, and she's been published in the New York Times and Vogue and GQ, Oprah magazine. Her list goes on and on. But her new book is something I think that a lot of women are really going to relate to, and actually a lot of men, because it's really about how do we survive this this just sort of unknown territory of of becoming parents and how do we do the dance in marriage and how do we figure out how to communicate with our man and how do we as women, I'm just going to speak directly to our female audience real quick, how do we figure out how to um, define our needs and ask for them and, and speak to our husbands in a way that they can receive? How do we figure out how to get what we need um, out of marriage and, and, um, we're just going to talk about running the household and raising a family and, uh, um, how to not hate our, our men. (laughs) So here's my interview with Jancy Dunn. Hi Jancy, how are you? I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? I'm doing great, and I wish that I was looking at you across the table, but I, I want so much to have this conversation and, and to share all of the information in your book with all of our listeners. So um, we're doing this interview a little bit different today via telephone, um, but it's all good. It's all good. Thanks for joining us. Oh, sure. It's like talking to one of your friends on the phone. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> and all the other <laughs> friends that are listening. How's your summer? My summer's been okay. Do you still talk to friends on the phone? I, I know that I'm getting a lot. Mine are transitioning to texts and stuff, but do you still do phone conversations with your friends? It's such a good question. I talk to my mom and my sister when I'm mm-hmm. in the car because I feel like I'm not distracted and it's sometimes my only alone time with so many children in my house, but not enough. And I feel like it's a, this, it's kind of this weird, unfortunate world we're living in right now with social media that you feel like you know what's going on in your friends' lives mm-hmm. and you don't maybe pick up the phone because you just watch their whole day unfold on their Instagram story. And it's kind of great and it's kind of really weird and disconnected, right? Yes, because I... I I know where all my friends are vacationing. I know exactly what's going on, and it's from Instagram. Yeah, yeah. and it doesn't feel like enough, but sometimes it's it's more than you would get if you, you know, left a message or tried to reach out. I, I don't know. It kind of bugs me. And, you know, I got, I got a call, I mean, a text from my friend the other day, and she said, is it okay if I call you? And I said, <laughs> oh, is that what people do now? And she said, oh, yeah, that's encouraged in my office, like, to text first before you make the phone call so you can clear that it's a good time. Yeah, that's Instead so Instead of crazy. ambushing someone. Yeah, I need a real connection. But there's also, you know, the beauty of the convenience of this, like, very tech world that we're living in. But um, mm-hmm. maybe we should do that with our partners more. 
<laughs> Maybe we'd have a lot yeah. less frustration. <laughs> Maybe we'd get a better reaction, except for the tonality of texting is a little bit weird, too. Right. So I want to dive right into your book because, first of all, I think it's brave and brilliant. Um, and, you know, you you had me at the title, you know, how to not hate your husband after kids. Like, so bold. <laughs> Most people are thinking that, but don't have the guts to say it. Yeah, I, I did. I did kind of throw my husband under the bus, didn't I? And But I had to do a title that would grab your attention, especially some, you know, moms that are that have newborns and you're in a fog and and it is the thing that people don't talk about sometimes, yeah. isn't it? I mean, I still cringe when I hear the title, but it it it, it is what it is. No, you're 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 so right. I mean, I want to back up just quickly because before you wrote, um, you know, the book, you were on air at MTV as a VJ, and then you wrote for Rolling Stone and a bunch of other magazines, and you went kind of were dropped into this major transition from, uh, you know, cool chick and having this very hip job to now what you just said, being in a fog and instantly becoming a parent and going, oh my gosh, who am I? And like, now what? How, how was that for you? Um, that's a good question because it's, it's, it's like your identity is completely new, isn't it? And I can mm-hmm. remember I used to be, yeah, I used to be kind of a girl about town sort of in New York. And, and then I, I remember when I took my baby to a mommy and me class and they, you know how when um, you, you take your kids to classes and they don't even say like, they say mom and, and, and you don't, you're, you're mom and that's it. And you're, you're not even, you don't even have a name, you know? Oh my and, gosh. And then <laughs> we, we had, my husband and I, we had just backslid into the fifties. And, and that's, that's why I wrote the book because it was so odd. I, you know, we're, we're both kind of progressive people. And, and yet when the baby was born, we just, we just fell back into these traditional roles. And so it was like doubly weird for me. Yeah. Well, and totally unfamiliar. And you're sort of navigating these uncharted waters. And now suddenly you're a parent. It's funny what you say about mom, because I go through certain times where I'm like, can everybody just stop calling me mom? Just don't say mom anymore. Just stop saying mom. <laughs> and then you start. Or ma'am. Yeah. Or, or ma'am. Oh boy, ma'am. Ooh. <laughs> but wait, just wait until, you know, wait until you become, um, your child's mom and you don't even, you know, you don't have a name at all when it comes to like the social circles in school. That gets really weird. Or you don't know another woman's name. You just know that she's Daniel's mom. <laughs> God. So what was going on in your life when you decided to write this book? Like, was there a complete breaking down point? Like what, what possessed you to write this book? Well, I, I, first of all, I, I think you know, again, talking about social media, when I would see all my friends who had babies on social media, I just felt even worse that we were fighting so much. Like we were really fighting and we're both, you know, my husband's a very quiet sort of a guy and he, he's not, you know, he's not a yeller. I'm the one who was yelling and he, we just, I just couldn't believe how much I just kept wondering, like, is, am I the only one that's doing this? Or are we the only ones that are squabbling all the time in what should be the happiest time of our lives. You know, we wanted our, our baby so badly. It took years. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to my friends about it. And my friends couldn't talk to me about it. I couldn't tell my mother because my mother would never forget if I told her any details mm. about our fighting. She'd, she'd remember for as long as she lived. <laughs> of I couldn't tell my sisters. And I just felt completely alienated. And because I'm a journalist, I thought, well, this is sort of interesting. I wonder if anyone else feels this way. And 
when I started bringing it up to moms on the playground, they, they kind of let loose. And I didn't realize how much shame everyone else had about fighting, which is normal, which is normal until this book came out. And some of my friends would say to me, I had one friend who said, Oh man, I I didn't talk to John for two years after our twins were born. And I I said to her, two, two years, Wow! You, you didn't even speak. And of course I had no idea. And these are intimate friends. These are friends I've, I've, nurse them through their parents dying, you know, you know, diseases, problems, and none of us talked about it. It was just strange to me. So, um, oh my, wow, am I rambling? No, 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 no. You asked me if there was one specific incident. Um, we got in a really, we got in a really bad fight. And I remember that my daughter kind of scurried off to her room and shut the door. And I realized that I, we, our fighting was changing her personality, that she was this very, you know, outgoing, bubbly sort of a child. And she was becoming watchful, quiet, watching us. And I, I mistakenly had thought, oh, well, if I, you know, if I just fight with my husband, but I don't fight with my, you know, if I don't ever yell at my child, because I'm very gentle with her, um, then she's not affected. Well, of course she was affected. Of course. So that was really the turning point. I thought, ah, I'm ruining her. She's, I'm changing her personality because of our squabbling. And it's not like we were screaming at each other, but it was constant. It was low level, but it was constant over really trivial stuff. Mm. I totally agree. I mean, my husband and I even go through periods of time where we get disconnected. But I think when you become a parent, you have this ability to put your game face on and kind of (laughs) fake it and nobody around you knows it. But I have to say, when we think we're faking it in front of our kids, you are so right. They are picking up on everything. Like when you when you when your daughter went into her room and slammed the door, how old was she? Oh, she was like three. And it's so so interesting. She was going in there to write in her diary. You know, she was going in there to get away from us. Yeah. Yeah. Were you guys fighting a lot before you became parents? Uh, Never. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm not kidding. Like we really didn't. I had dated a series of, I would say losers before I met uh, my husband. And so we were, I was so happy to meet him. I just fell into his arms. We're both quiet writers. We're not, you know, these explosive types. And we just didn't fight. And then, you know, when, when the baby came, it was just, everything was so heightened. Of course, you're sleep deprived, your hormones are bouncing all over the place. Oh, yeah. And, and just small things become huge things, I guess. And so then we fought all the time and, and the disparity between the two, that was another thing, like what is going on and is this ever going to stop? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, in fatigue itself, I mean, that'll make you irritable and short. It's almost like you become a parent and you have like a 24 seven constant PMS syndrome going on. I mean, it's just, it's <laughs> at least you're recognizing it. Like what kind of stuff though, what was triggering you or what was happening? Um, I can remember, I mean, it was, it was that he really didn't see I mean, broadly, I guess it was that I, he really didn't see that I needed help ever. He could happily plop on the couch while I was doing 50 things. And uh, I only had one kid. I I don't have multiples, you know, like you Mm. do and like so many other people do, but he just wasn't, he was happy to not do anything. And God, (laughs) I I did everything. How, uh, I mean, 
he also, he took up long distance cycling right when the baby shot out of me. Awesome. And um, <laughs> so he was gone a lot. Thanks and, for that. You know, he felt more entitled to take time for himself. He felt more entitled to take a load off at the end of the day. And it made me insane. Isn't it interesting how, how men are so much better at taking care of themselves and carving out that me time, which by the way, they're better at it than we are. We need to learn something from the male generation and our husbands when it comes to that, because we have just as much right. We just don't, we just don't do it. So were you like holding it all in? Was it an immediate reaction or was it sort of stewing and brewing and about to explode? (laughs) It was what you just said, the stewing and the brewing and about to explode. And also, I mean, you're so right. Like there's, there's a couple of different things that, I mean, I had to examine my own behavior. This is totally not a book about, you know, my memoir of oppression by my husband. Mm-hmm. It was, it was me having to examine my own behavior. And it's just what you said, like taking a page from our husbands who feel entitled to, to relax. I mean, you know, I was realizing that like on weekends, I would immediately sacrifice what I had going on if, you know, my kid had a couple of birthday parties or my husband wanted to go play soccer with his friends or whatever. And I would say, oh, I don't, I don't really need to go get a manicure or meet my friend for coffee. And, and then I was thinking, well, yes, I do, you know? Yeah. And so, so there was a couple of things that I was doing. Well, there were many things that I was doing wrong. One is I would resent him for not helping me yet. I would take over everything. I felt like I could, you know, change the, the baby's diaper um, more skillfully, which I could, but you could, but, you know, I, was just gonna I, say I, I could put on a onesie faster because there's a, a billion snaps and it's confusing. And so I never let him learn on his own. I took over everything. My favorite expression was uh, just give her to me. If he was bathing her, I uh, let, let me, you know, she's going to drown. And, and that sort of controlling behavior is called maternal gatekeeping. And I was doing it constantly. So you can't set him up to fail and then blame him, which is exactly what I was doing all the time. Or, or, I mean, I'm so glad that you you wrote about maternal gatekeeping because it's also the lesson, which, by the way, it's you and every other new parent, and I was the same one. I mean, we just (laughs) take on this role and we become control freaks and we think that we've got it and we can run the world and we can do it better than our our partners, yet we want their help (laughs) and then we squash them along the way when they try. We're critical. Um, Instead of just sort of breaking it down and learning with each other and communicating and divvying up responsibilities... Uh, you know, it's it's very difficult to know how to do it because it's the first time. Like I was yeah. there too. I have four kids now. I am a hundred times better. I, I always I, sometimes I joke around with my oldest daughter and I say like, "You were the experiment." Sorry, honey, but you were. <laughs> and then I got a little bit better with child number two and a little bit better now with my fourth child. I get my me time. I ask for what I need. I divide up the responsibilities. My husband and I know exactly what is expected of each other, but took us a long time. So, I, you know, I just, I, I think you're opening up this conversation and educating these new parents who, there's no, nobody prepares us for the, for the responsibilities of the parental side of raising children, you know? Oh, yeah. Remember when you brought home the first and you were just standing in your house like, wow, they, they let me take this baby home? Yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of Now crazy, what do I do? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Scary scary and then you're hormonal and maybe you've got the blues and maybe you're super emotional and you don't even know why. I mean, I remember giving birth to my first child. My, my first husband, he sent me flowers because I was just such a mess and the card said, I don't know what's wrong or if you're okay, but whatever if it is and if I did it, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know. Preventative flowers. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know either. I wish I knew. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
yeah, such a mystery. I, you know, but taking the me time, I mean, that makes me feel better that it took you a while to carve out that time for yourself because I, I learned so late in the game, like, yeah. it, it, okay, if I'm here in my house all the time and available to my child 24 hours a day and I never do anything with my friends or for myself, then I'm burnt out and frustrated. Does that make me a better mom? But if I go out for like, I mean, it can be 45 minutes. It doesn't need to be, you know, all day. I come back and I'm a better mother. Yeah, and I sure. wish I had figured that out sooner, that it really does. It makes you more lighthearted. It makes you fulfilled to see friends, to connect with those parts of yourself, you know, that you had before you had a baby. Totally. And I wonder why we lose complete sense of self when we become a parent, because I didn't figure it out. I mean, you're doing pretty good because you've already figured it out with your first child. I didn't figure it out until like child number three. And it was actually Florence Henderson, you know, love her, miss her. But she was the one who said to me she had four children as well. And I thought being last on the totem pole was just sort of where you were supposed to land. And I was Mm -hmm. bound and determined to be this amazing mom. And that was my priority. And that defined who I was. And I came last after the kids, after after the dogs even. And then I had a great, you know, some intimate time with Florence. And she was like, are you kidding me? You have to be first on the totem pole. And in our society, we look at that as sort of a little bit selfish, a little bit self-centered, a little bit weird to wrap our head around that. And she was like, you're going to be a better partner. You're going to be a better mother. You're going to be a better what? You're going to be better at everything if you can carve out that time and own it without any guilt. So you're doing pretty good, Jancy. <laughs> you figured it out. <laughs> I love that story. Um, Yeah, I, you know, another thing is that I I wasn't, when I examined my own behavior, and we went to couples therapists, you know, I consulted all these different people, because I write for O Magazine, the Oprah Magazine, so I I know a lot of wonderful experts, so I thought, like, why am I not using this brain trust to solve this problem? Mm -hmm. So, and, and they were saying, are you communicating to your husband what you're upset about? Well, no, I was fuming and and glaring at him. He honestly did not notice what I was glaring at him. He thought everything was fine. It was just, he just wasn't, he couldn't read my mind. And so they would say like, are you, why don't you tell him like, hey, can you help me empty the dishwasher? Can you help me get her ready to go to swim class? Like, and I said, no, I'm not. And and they said, okay, why don't you do that? And so I would, I, I had to learn to ask for you know, him to help out. I mean, I shouldn't even use the word help, like he's co-parenting, right? But, you know, I I had to calmly ask and not instead lecture or blow up and say, I'm doing everything around here. That's my rice cooker going off. Um, (laughs) And, 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 and that's, that was, that helped me tremendously just to ask him in a calm way, like, Hey, can you do this? Or even if you're emptying the dishwasher, hand him the dishes. Or, or, you know, we would be watching a movie and I'd come over with like the laundry and I'd dump it in front of us and we just fold it. Like it doesn't need to, yeah. I didn't need to lecture or editorialize. I could just incorporate him in. Or the willingness to just do it all yourself and then getting pissed off at him. Like we spoke about this last time, um, you know, we talked and I think that uh, this is super valuable too. It's just style is really important. I mean, I can make dinner, set the table, clean it up, and then start bitching at the end. Like, is anybody going to help me here? Do you think you could help me clean up these dishes and be really frustrated instead of just saying, hey, guys, like, why don't we all knock this out together and then we can go watch a movie? And everybody would be like, sure, mom, instead of, you know, (laughs) exactly what you're saying that you learned how to not do. 
It, well, it, it's like the, it's like everyone's had a nightmare boss that rules by fear or intimidation, and then they have the boss that you adore and you you want to, or a producer or, or anybody that that you want to please, so you you leap up to do what needs to be done. And you're you're so right. And I mean, I you know, we went to this one. Um, I mean, one of the hardest things we had to do for this, and my husband, God love him, was willing to do everything. I, he was amazingly kind of, you know, cooperative with this stuff. We went to this one um, therapist, and he's in Boston. People fly in from all over the country, um, celebrities, CEOs, because he's not cheap. He's 800 an hour. And wow. we had a five-hour session. So that's a lot of money for a one-day session where he basically, his name's Terry Real, and he he lets loose on you. He tells you what you're doing wrong. He raises his voice. He swears. It was brutal. And I had been warned by my Oprah colleagues, like your hair is going to be blown back because he's going to yell at you. And he did. And, you know, he would, he would say to me, like, why, why are you being a martyr? Why, why are you doing this? And, and he was, he was right. He was, you know, he, he said, nothing that you do with each other should drop below the level of simple respect. Ooh. And I said, are, are you kidding? Never. I can't <laughs> yell. And he said, no, you're the grownups now. You have to, he calls it full respect living where all your interactions, you can, you can disagree, but you have to have a respectful tone. And I said, well, what? I can't vent. And he said, no, he hates venting. He's anti-venting. Wow. He said, why is it okay to dump out every you know, terrible thing that you feel about somebody just because you want to unburden yourself. And I thought, okay, I could try it. And I don't always succeed, but by and large, I have. Like, we try to make sure that everything, nothing drops below the level of simple respect in our interactions. It's, you have to be on it all the time and think about it and be very mindful of it. But we really tried and we, we basically basically do it. Like, what does that look like? Like, how do you do that if you're angry or frustrated or like, wh- 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 how, how does that, <laughs> like, how do you do that? Well, <laughs> you, uh, okay. He said yelling is off the table. And I said, but that's sometimes the only way you can get people to pay attention. And he said, I know, but I want you to try and not yell and no name calling. And, you know, I would, I would call my husband names. I'm from New Jersey. I have some choice names that, you know, I used to drunkenly yell in the eighties when I was down at the shore and bars. You're a provocative writer. I get it. (laughs) You know, Dick Wad, uh, variations of (laughs) Dick with, um, any sort of word after that or bag of dicks. And, and so I I would, he never called me any name ever. I mean, ever. He is like a kind, (laughs) gentle person. And I was, we were in this pattern that's very common among um, heterosexual couples um, in particular, and it's the pursuer distancer where one person blows up and wants attention from the other and the other kind of stonewalls them and shuts down, typically the male in 85% of the cases. That was us. And so he said, I, you're verbally abusive. You shouldn't call him names. And I said, I'm not verbally abused. He said, yes, you are. And he read me the definition of verbally abusive. And I was. Oh, and I gosh. thought, geez. This was like so, tough love. This was hardcore. In our interactions, when things get heated, we take a moment. We take a little time out, just like you would with a kid. Um, you know, we start with I statements instead of saying 
you're a, a lazy bum or, yeah. you know, you never help me. I am feeling overwhelmed. Can you please help me? So little tricks like that. You describe the behavior and not the person. Like hmm. you describe the problem that you're having. Um, you know, you, I, I, I wish you would help me get the kid out the door in the morning to school rather than you're, you're, you're being lazy. So it's, it's, Totally, like that, totally different. Kind of, um, adhered to, I guess. Just like night, it's an, it's a night and day style of making a request. And, and don't you think that most people, I mean, especially our husbands, are so willing to help if we ask for help rather than react the way we want them to after we've just bashed them and criticized them to shreds? Exactly right. I mean, it is all about tone. And, and you know, it's this, yeah. once I started kind of moderating my tone and not blowing up, um, and not lecturing, not name calling. Um, it became this thing where, you know, when you go off sugar for a while and then you eat sugar and you, you feel kind of sick. Um, it, it was like that, like once we kind of got that behavior, look, we're not perfect. And, you know, sure. I, of course I raise my voice sometimes too now, but once we started kind of being mindful of that, it really, it became this weird thing when, when inevitably I yelled and it became out of place and strange. And also it had an upward spiral effect because the more respectful we were with each other, the calmer our atmosphere in our home was. And the more that our child blossomed again and she didn't feel uneasy. She didn't feel weirded out that her parents were, um, you know, fighting or doing the silent treatment, which is also aggressive. You yep. know, it's, it's, it, and, and, and like you say, kids know exactly what's up when you're not talking to each other. Yep. It's not, you know, you're not fooling them even when they're very young. And so she, her personality became once again, the happy go lucky girl that we knew. And so that had the, um, that had the effect of kind of reinforcing us to be calm. Well, and just harmony, right? I mean, doesn't it feel so much better to be mindful and to be in control rather than frustrated and explosive all the time? I mean, it sounds like you and your husband did a complete 180. And and I know it takes a tremendous amount of effort, but gosh, that's, I mean, that's kind of basic, really effective stuff that you're sharing in this book. Well, you know, and Terry Real had said to me, when you feel like you need to blow up, what you what you have to do is he made me do this brutal exercise where he said, OK, here's what I want you to do when you feel like you're being engulfed by your temper, because that, that's the way it feels sometimes. Like when you're when you're really feeling upset, it feels like you have no control. And I said, I feel like I can't control myself. And he said, you know, yes, you can. People that really can't control themselves by and large, they're either in a mental institution or they're in jail. So you can control yourself. You just choose not to. Mm. So he said that I had a pic. I was to keep a picture of my daughter in my room. And when I wanted to blow up, I was to go into the, my room, look at the picture and say, I know that what I'm about to do is going to cause you harm. But right now, my anger is more important to me than you are. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that'll that'll get everybody in control. Wow, that is really powerful. Isn't I'm totally it, doing it, that. I'm doing that. That is good yeah. stuff. It immediately centers you, makes you feel ashamed, 
brings you down. And like it just, I only had to do it a couple of times. Well, it gives you back and your was, sense of responsibility. That's like spiraling out of control. Like now we're parents, right? We need to have a hell of a lot more common sense. That's really good. Yeah, that is we're really the grownups. Good. Yeah, we're the grownups. And most of the time, what are you teaching your child? <laughs> are you teaching your child for conflict resolution? I mean, this is you know, I talked to the head of the Yale Parenting Center. I talked to millions of people, and they said, you know, all the child the, the the parenting experts would say, when you you know, of course your child's going to encounter conflict. You're teaching them by modeling. Yeah, what you what you model in the home is what they're learning, and so. If they're, if they're learning that the way to get what they want is to scream and yell, that's what you're teaching them. And I thought, ah, okay, this is another thing. Because you know, you and I have talked about this. Like, you can tell your kids everything you want to tell them. You can give them all the slogans you want. I mean, I was doing a thing where I was saying, girls rule, you know. But what she saw in our house is that I was doing all the work. So that's what she internalized. It wasn't, it wasn't that girls were, like, your words don't mean as much as your actions in so many cases, I feel like. It's such an incredible responsibility, isn't it? Like I'm, so many light bulbs are going off in my head right now just listening to this. I mean, yeah, our kids start marrying us and they will call us on it and they will show us our own behavior even when it's super, super painful to experience that. It's just, it's so true what you're saying. It's, it's, it's just, we have to think about that kind of stuff. I, I'm super curious also. Um, I want to ask you about some of the research that you did when you talked to, this is so outrageous, some hostage negotiators at the FBI. Like, wh- <laughs> what, what in the world was that about? Okay, so, yeah, wasn't that an odd one? It's totally. It's because I, I'm at the gym. I'm doing the elliptical and I see on the TV that there's a hostage negotiation. Uh, it's like, like in a bank in Texas, it was unfolding. And I noticed that the negotiators, the crisis negotiators and the hostage negotiators, they calmed this person down who was waving a gun and like, you know, he was really, really upset. They calmed him down in three minutes. And I thought, okay, how did they do that? And again, going back to me losing my temper, I thought, Hmm, maybe they have some techniques I could use. I mean, it was so nutty, but why not, right? Totally. So I called a couple of crisis negotiators, and I remember this one guy, um, his name was Gary Nestor, and he was, you know, an FBI guy for 30 years. And he, you know, he was, he, he, he calmed down prison riots. And, you know, I mean, everything you can think of. And he, he, he talked down hostage takers. And, he was telling me, oh, yeah, this could totally apply to marriages. Because it so probably feels like a prison riot at some times. He gave me a couple of tips <laughs> based on FBI protocols. And, okay, so they are. Do you want me to tell you some of them? Yes, I'm, I'm, I guess. This is so good. <laughs> All right. One is contain the situation. So if it's a dangerous, evolving situation. I'm taking notes, by the way, right? <laughs> so if you're in a relationship, don't. Dig up dirt from 10 years ago. Keep it, keep focused on the problem at hand. And then another is paraphrasing. And this was really helpful for my husband. He said, both of these crisis negotiators I talked to, they said that people just want to be heard. I mean, I heard this over and over again from them, that when people are upset, if they feel like they're being heard, they calm down quickly within minutes. It's, it's people get upset when they feel like they're not being heard. So paraphrasing is something that he advised my husband to do. And that's restating the person's message in your own words. 
So all it is, is, you know, like Tom will say to me, so what I'm hearing is you're upset that I stepped around the bag of trash on the way out the door and didn't take it out. And I'll say, yes, that's what I'm upset about. And when he paraphrases or like one time he paraphrased, so you're upset that I don't know the name of our child's pediatrician, which he didn't. I said, yes, exactly. That's what's upsetting me. And even when he paraphrases and he's wildly off the mark and seems to have <laughs> no idea, <laughs> it still makes me laugh. And that breaks the tension when he's just like throwing darts and he, has, he doesn't know. Well, isn't it so um, good too? when sometimes when he just, one when, like when he just emotion. gets you? It, yeah. Like, I mean, and, and sometimes he has been wildly off, but when he understands me, I mean, part of the reason I would get upset is I would think you don't know you're not listening. You're, you're zoning out. You, you don't, you don't know what's upsetting me. You don't know how to fix it. Or another one was emotion labeling. It's very simple stuff, but it's him saying, you have to say, start with you sound as though, or you seem as if, um, it's just naming and validating the person's feelings. You sound as though you're upset that I don't, you know, um, help the, our child get ready for bed at night. And so it, it's as simple as that. And again, sometimes he's, he's kind of, you know, stabbing in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one is offering minimal encouragements. This is another, it seems so simple, but it helps so much. All it is, is when the person is talking that's upset, you just use phrases to convey interest and concern. Like, mm, yes, uh-huh, okay, <laughs> I see. I'm only laughing because I'm just thinking about how many times we are, you know, going off on some kind of tangent and we get no response at all. And you do as a woman sometimes like, are you even hearing me? Like, are you or they're on their phone or I told like these. This is this is such easy, powerful stuff, Jancy. I mean, seriously. Are you even hearing me? You're making me feel so good because I've said that phrase a zillion patrillion yeah. times. Yeah. You know? And the paraphrasing, how effective. Like that's that's crazy. You also wrote in, in your book, which I really, really love about just the power of appreciation and saying thank you. Like let's talk about that a little bit because thank you feels really good. And I'm always joking around with our mommy friends and I'm always saying like being a parent is the most thankless job on the planet. And you're just not going to hear thank you until maybe your children become their parents and they figure out like what we've devoted to them. But from your (laughs) partner, like, thank you goes a long way. Oh, it goes. I mean, there's there's research that some that a lot of marriages um, that 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 small thing of just saying thank you can be the difference between if people employ it regularly can be the difference between staying together and getting divorced. I think it was University of Virginia. I'll have to look it up, but it was, I'd love to see that, you know, but there's, but there's, there's lots of different research about that, that, that regular expressions of gratitude. I mean, nothing big, you know, thank you for bringing me some iced tea. Thank you for, you know, talking um, into your shoe and pretending it was a cell phone to make the kids laugh. They loved it. You know, thank you for making dinner after a long work day, (laughs) um, make a huge outsize impact in your marriage. And, you know, so I started thanking my husband all the time. And at first he was bewildered, you know, but, but there there are these famous couples therapists, um, John and Julie Gottman, and, you know, they pioneered the love lab and they have so much wonderful research. And they, they said that what you do every day matters more 
than the things you do once in a while, like, you know, the big extravagant vacation or something oh, or, good. you know, the that's birthday good. card. It's, it's more about like habits, um, bring you know, small things. And so I, I was very mindful of thanking him for the little things because we do, especially as parents, we're not getting, you know, our two year old isn't going to thank us, you know, for yeah. cleaning up their mess. Like we, it's, you feel this rush of gratitude when you get thanked for anything, don't you? I mean, Tot- I, totally. And was he, did he start thanking you more as you began thanking him more? I mean, was it sort of like one breeds the other? Uh, you are um, the best interviewer ever because you exactly nailed it. There's research about that as well, that the more you thank someone, the more it becomes reciprocal and they will start doing it back on, on a level that they don't even yeah. register a lot of times. So he started doing it back. Yeah, I get and, it. I you get know, it. And that's another piece of this whole thing is that, you know, the Gottman say to look for the good. And when you have tunnel vision, when you feel like you're being oppressed or when you're in, when you're locked in this, you know, battle, sometimes all you ever see is the bad and it reinforces, you know, this, this narrative that you have. Yeah. So I had to stop myself from doing that. Like, Oh, look, he left stuff on the floor. You know, he's not helping me. He's a slob or whatever. And I had to start looking for the good. And so what, what did you find in that? Like, a, what was the good in that? Like, I, I, cause this is like, this is a big, big issue for people about our nerves and getting irritated and not communicating. And, you know, your husband constantly is leaving his socks in his underwear and like every day you're walking by it. Like for me, I walk by it every day, honestly, and I'm irritated and I could pick it up and I could put it, it pisses me off every single day. What's the, right. what's the good in that? Like I, I know what to do about it now. Maybe is it like, let, let me, let me like try, role play this with you. Like what I say, because um, I know light bulbs are going off from everybody that's listening right now. Would I say like, hey, um, <laughs> see, I'm struggling. <laughs> Would I say um, I'd really appreciate it if you could just put those in the hamper? Let's see. Or would I, I say, you, okay. I put them in the hamper for you? No, again, no, yeah, like this is a tough one. What's the, what's the okay. problem solve here? This is so, this is so great. Like I'm struggling with something so stupid. The therapist would talk me through this because this is a problem for me too. And again, I mentioned my husband's a cyclist, so he would leave his reeking, fetid, semi-liquid cycling clothes next to the hamper. Like, hello, right? Gross. And so my, there's this one, um, Julia Morgenstern, she's this, um, time organizer and she organized Oprah's closet. So she was in the Oprah family. And I said, take me through that. Like, what do you do? And she said, you have to be, you have to come at him from an empathetic point of view and say, I know you're not even thinking about this. I know that this is so not a priority for you, but this really bothers me. And she said to take him through it. Like my husband, what he does that's sort of similar is if he makes a sandwich in the kitchen you, you don't have to be a detective to know what he's done because everything, all the evidence is there. Like the, 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 the old the peanut butter jar is turned over and there's, there's a, there's like crumbs from the bread and it's, it's like, it's like a bomb hit it. Yeah, yeah, and she I said, it. okay, take him through it and show it to him with your eyes. Say, I know like who cares about putting the bread away, but this is what it's like. This is what I see. Can you just see, like, I see a sock sock balls on the floor and I already clean up after our children and 
they smell. I don't want to touch them. And you see, like, look, it, all it takes is to put it in there. And it reinforces that I feel like uh, uh, the, 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 the maid. And I, I don't want to feel that way. And it's so nothing for you, but it, it gives me the shot of irritation. Do you think you could please make an effort and put them away? And, and yes, that's a lot of words. And, but if you try but to it's so much better than like the grunt or the eye roll or cursing them out. Like I'm hearing you right now and I'm listening to your tone and I'm like, God, that's like, I get that. And you're taking the time to play and you're doing it in a very nice way. And it, and it just like all these little tips on how to not hate your husband after children. It's like your communication, control, your tone, figuring out how to ask for what you want. Constant, constant dialogue, like nice dialogue will get you everything you need right and you know I even said to him like I know that this is not a big deal in your world but things like you know old underwear on the floor it's just a trigger for me like it totally it makes me upset I don't like weird smells it's just my (laughs) own thing and I know that it's not your thing but if you could respect mine that would really help tremendously and, you know, did he miraculously change? Is there stuff still on the floor? Yes, but he did. Less? It's probably like <laughs> 65% better. I'll take it. I'll take it. Is that what made you write the article, um, that, the article that I saw in Real Simple Magazine called How to Live with a Messy Person? This was oh your therapy, gosh. wasn't well, it, Jancy? That article, <laughs> I have never gotten so much response from an oh article my gosh, in so good. my life. Because Julie, oh my gosh, I can't believe you read that. The, Ju- I can't believe you read it, actually. But but Julie Morgenstern said one thing in there that was very interesting that I took away. The main takeaway, um, magazine editors love the word takeaway, mm-hmm. and so do I. Was <laughs> that she said to me, "Okay, again with the laundry. If the laundry bag is sw- swollen to the size of like a manatee and it's making you tense, like because Tom does the laundry, and I, well, I that's said to her, good. yeah, but." Like, it's disgusting. There's, there's cycling clothes in there. Like, like, how can I make him do the laundry? And she said, well, what does it cost you? You have to ask yourself that. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, if you're tussling, if you're battling over something, before you take a stand, you have to ask yourself what it costs you. Does the laundry upset you because you have no laundry, because you have no clothing to wear? Are you out of underwear? And I said, no. And she said, uh-huh. Does the laundry, does the large laundry bag upset you that he won't do it because it just bugs you because you like to have the laundry done? And I said, yes. And she said, okay. So then it's not costing you a thing. So let it go. If, if you're, if something really doesn't cost you anything, then just stop. And another example was my, my husband, after one of his aforementioned long bike rides, he would come home and he would want to take a nap, like on a Saturday. And that nap drove me bazonkers because <laughs> because you like, weren't I napping would never, i would never presume <laughs> to take a nap i would not nap i have too much oh to do my God. and the thing is if he was napping and like our kid was playing quietly and you know he's not like depriving her of precious you know quality time and i'm doing something and i don't need for him to you know do repairs around the house who gives a crap if he takes a nap and so I, I, you know, I just didn't like that he wasn't taking, he was taking a nap on principle, like, don't, totally. I, which makes me sound like a harpy. So I, I constantly ask myself <laughs> now, what does it cost you? And I mean, that half the time it doesn't cost me anything. So I make a point of not getting on him. 
you know? It's like giving yourself a timeout. No, I'm laughing because I'm thinking as you're saying all this about how much we abuse our husbands and how pissed off we get at little things, not because of what they are. Like, I might be pissed off because he's napping because I didn't take a nap. Well, whose fault is that? It's my fault for not taking a nap. And it's my fault if I'm pissed off about the garbage because he'd be perfectly, every time I ask my husband to take out the garbage, he does it in two seconds with, with, with pleasure. So this is like, this is, yeah, this is like basic stuff about learning how to get what we need and we want by communicating. I mean, this book is so important for a lot of people. I love that you wrote this. (laughs) Seriously, so, so good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I love the the fact that, you know, looking for the good, as we talked about, like, he, you really tell him like, oh, could you take out the trash? And he says, sure. And he just takes it out. Yeah, done. End of story. Whoa. Like, I could get pissed off that he doesn't automatically take out the trash, but is that really mm-hmm. worth my energy? What is that about instead of just asking him to do it? Like, like we sit in that stuff and let it build and, and then get irritated. And I totally understood who you were before you wrote this book without even knowing you because it's like we just let it brew and we hold on to it. And then really, like, we have to take responsibility, I think, as women and as parents and figuring out how to get what we need and how to lay the groundwork and how to divvy up the chores. And, you know, you talk about that in the book a lot as well, how to divide things so that it feels good, right? So that it feels equal or it feels fair, I guess. I don't know if there's anything such thing as equal, but just so that it's tolerable, reasonable. Yeah, like it doesn't it doesn't have to be 50-50, does it? I mean, it's just unrealistic. Like I talked to a lot of, you know, feminist scholars. I talked to Catelyn Moran who wrote How to Be uh, a Woman, you know, and they would say like 50-50. Well, for me, it didn't work out that way to, to divvy up all the chores 50-50, to do, divvy up the childcare 50-50. It was just what felt fair, as you said. Like, it just has to feel fair to you, what yeah. works for you. And so, you know, we did, we did have to go, we did have to divvy up everything that we were doing in the house once the baby came. And I heard that from so many people. They said, when you have a child, you have a brand new relationship and things are not just going to happen organically. Cause that's what it always had been on our house with just the two of us. Like, Oh, it'll work out organically. That's the way we always, that's how we roll, you know? Yeah, well, that's when, funny. when a new <laughs> be, human being comes into the house, it's just, it's a new marriage. It's a new yeah. relationship, a new routine. So we had to sit down and divvy up all of our chores around the house. And as you said, we did it according to preference, not like, oh, the woman should do this. The man should do this. It wasn't about that. It was just like, and once we sat down and started talking, like my husband said, you know, I hate grocery shopping. I said, you do? Really? He doesn't like fluorescent lights. He doesn't like being overwhelmed by all the food. I love grocery shopping because I love food. So I took it over. Like, these are fundamental conversations that we should have had a long time ago. And we just, I don't know, we just didn't. Figuring out what you do best. No, it's, it's, this is all such good stuff. Honestly, I'm going to take your concept of full respect living home with me tonight. I'm going to have that conversation. I just, I think you've helped so many parents. I mean, go out and get Jancy Dunn's book, How to Not Hate Your Husband After Kids. I mean, this is, this is like, this is like 101. This is good, basic, effective stuff. Thank you for sharing everything with us. Oh, my pleasure. What a fun interviewer you are. It really is like talking to a friend on the phone. I loved it. Thank you. Well, I I, I love your concept and your vulnerability and um, just really, I'm going to, I'm going to share this book with, with all my mommy friends. 
Thank you. Thank you, Brooke. And I hope we get to talk again soon. And I want to know how it, how it continues to work and how you're doing. So let's, let's stay in touch. Cause I, I really, it is a, it is a constant effort. Like this, it's not easy, right? It's constant work. Yeah. And it evolves as your ch- children get older. So it's, it's all brand new and you have to keep doing it. Right. Yeah. So yes, I would yeah. love to call me when she rolls, call me when she rolls, of course, call me when she rolls into the hormonal years. Okay. <laughs> Brace yourself aye, for aye, that aye. bomb. <laughs> Take care, Jancy Dunn. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. 